Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. I certainly did. It was great to be with family. And I uh, hope you had a nice uh, ratio of rest and food and and, uh, good times with your loved ones. So it's nice to be back here and uh, getting Monday started is going to be great. I hope you are going uh, to do the read a chapter of Luke a day with us here at Faith Radio. Uh, We're going to start really today with a couple of chapters just so we can be caught up to Speed today being December, or I'm sorry, December 2nd. We're on Luke 2, which is very awesome. It's one of the greatest chapters in Luke, talking about Caesar Augustus issuing the decree. And so Joseph uh, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. When I think of those shepherds living out in the field and they were keeping watch over their flock, I mean, I would say these shepherds were not your run-of-the-mill kind of guys. They they were tough. They w- were able to do just about everything. I think about even the way they would dress. I know I'm sure their clothes were simple, uh, but they would need something that would protect them from the rain and the frigid night air. And they probably wore some kind of sheepskin with the fleece turned against them and some tunic and sandals to protect their feet from the sharp rocks and the thorns, and then they would probably wrap their head in something that would be woolen and warm. And I think of the shepherd's equipment. I mean, they're out protecting their flock at night, which is no easy job. They would probably have a little leather bag with them, and in that would be some food supplies, like a little bread, some olives, dried fruit and cheese. That would last me about 18 minutes. I'd need more food. Um, they, they would also have a rod, which was a, quite a serious weapon. Um, they would have a knife and a staff, and they would have a water container and a, probably a little collapsible, collapsible uh, leather bucket for drawing water from a, a deep well. And then the sling, and that would be their, their weapon to lob stones at, at um, anything that would be coming at their their sheep or their goats that they were protecting. And then they would also probably have something on them like a reed pipe or something to play to entertain himself while he was out in the middle of the night and also to soothe the flock. It's just amazing all they would do. And then the angel of the Lord shows up and they are terrified. Imagine God himself coming to earth. You imagine the excitement. And then it says in Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened. And I'm thinking, okay, these angels have gone back into heaven. I wonder what their reports were like. Can't wait to find all that out. Anyway, we've got a great show. I encourage you to read Luke along with us this uh, December. So try to get Luke 1 and Luke 2 read, and we'll be on track for the whole month. We'll take a little break. We'll bring on my friend Pat- Patrick Albanese. We'll leave the light on for you. 
That's a phrase that speaks welcome and safety to the traveler. The phrase, I saw the light, indicates we've come to see things clearly and correctly. Light provides both direction and clarity. Psalm 119.105 reminds us God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's the source of direction and clarity for our lives. You know, every day through the relevant Bible preaching, teaching, and compelling conversations, the truth of God's Word is taught and discussed through Faith Radio, shining the light of Christ into our lives. And it's because generous friends of this ministry give consistently and sacrificially that keeps the gospel going out on air, online, on the app, and on demand as listeners from across the country find hope and understanding through God's Word. I'm Neil Stavum, manager of Faith Radio, and I'm inviting you to make a Christmas gift to keep Faith Radio going strong into the new year. You can give during our year-end fundraiser beginning December 10th or go online today at MyFaithRadio.com. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. All right, I'm awfully glad that we are back together after a long holiday weekend. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. It's always nice to be catching up with my friend Patrick Albanese uh, from the great state of Iowa. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks. You survived your Thanksgiving. I did. The guy that delivered the pizza was on time, and everyone was happy. It's uh, you. You. You were lucky. I. I think I told you when we last spoke about this that uh, ours is kind of a very. Uh, it's a non-committed time, so uh, we were supposed to eat at one, and the food just hit the table a couple minutes ago. So this is going to be <laughs> quick. <laughs> we we were hours late. Yeah. I said, how this happens i don't even know how this happens but was, was uh, there a snack food to tide you over because that's almost cruel and unusual punishment no they did not have snack food the um and i i say that they as they are family but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh i guess it was up to me to bring the snack food now i having known that this is how we do it i i did toss a couple of protein bars into the pocket of my jacket so i was Every now and then I'd say, I'm uh, just go step outside, get some fresh air. <laughs> I don't want anybody going after my food. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> I knew get, they were all as hungry as me. Everybody yeah. get along well and a good time was, was had good. by all? It was absolutely a, 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 a wonderful, wonderful. It was, it was what Thanksgiving's supposed to be. You know, uh, we, no fighting. Yeah. We didn't. It was uh, the no malarkey Thanksgiving. No malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think that tour is going to go? I'm just curious, now that you brought up the No Malarkey Tour. I don't know. I, I kind of was thinking, what were the rejected slogans? No shenanigans? No, no, we can't do the no shenanigans. What about Balderdash? No, nope, that's <laughs> out. You got, what about Lickspittle? Lickspittle was very popular. That's when a very we were happy, happy word, Lickspittle. You know, and then all of a sudden, you've got uh, unlimited supplies of sarsaparilla on the tour. You can help yourself to steak and kidney pie. I think that's going to be a fantastic tour. Yeah, and all the butterscotch candy you can get out of that uh, tinted green glass jar. I I personally would have gone for the no bunkum, or the no hoopie, <laughs> or gobbledygook tour. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, it's I, charming. It's absolutely charming, and I think it, uh, it, it, you know it's it's what his his strong point is. Is he? That's who he is. So go go with well, it. Well, I I mean, in on all fairness. The one word that comes to mind when you say Joe Biden is malarkey because he's the only guy that still uses it. I know. And it's a funny word. It is a funny uh, word. I, I actually would like to see it come back just because 
yeah, I love funny sounding words. Got a solid you know, K uh, in there, malarkey. It's it's got all it's the got funny malarkey. sounds. And, you know, and grandma would say stuff like that. She'd say horse feathers, you know, that's the bee's knees or applesauce. Yeah. Which I, and that wasn't about food. I don't even know what that meant. But <laughs> it was it was a whole nother language. And uh, it's it's kind of endearing, actually. I, I mean, it doesn't mean you get my vote. It's just you might as well. You might as well say I'm the no malarkey guy. Yeah. That's and it, it is charming. All right. Let's uh, talk about some of the things that went on over the weekend. And it was a longer one uh, than usual for many. So people are just getting back to their uh, normal routine today. And it was an interesting um, interview that Mayor Pete Buttigieg had talking about spiritual issues. He was kind of doing his version of um, telling you what the Bible says. And boy, I tell you, it's um, get to be very dangerous when false teachers say uh, inaccurate things about God's word. Yeah, and uh, and I know you take this stuff uh, extremely personally because you you try to be so extremely careful as well read as you are on on biblical issues and of course uh being in your lofty position as the host of uh an internationally acclaimed well I don't even know how many listeners you have but it's up there in the tens of millions you know you know they're going to hold you to task and so you have um you you contact people all the time and say hey, I just want to make sure I'm I'm getting this biblically mm-hmm. biblically correct because I I I don't like the hooey so to speak yeah and, if <laughs> and, and and so you're you're careful about it and he casts stuff out there with it seems like without a thought it's very odd it is odd and when you don't have biblical literacy you will start to believe what a Rhodes scholar might say about what the Bible says. Um, and then all of a sudden you've been deceived by a false teacher. Yeah, but I, I often believe, only because I was easily duped in my youth, and probably still am as an adult to, to some degree, because they sell all kinds of things at the, the CVS store that says, <laughs> it'll restore my lost youth. Well, this one looks good. It's got parsnip in it. But um, the the belief when somebody tells you something that you kind of want to hear because it excuses your sin or glosses it over is very appealing. It's very appealing. Uh, you know, I, as you know, dabbled in the new age religion and they had it all figured out and it was all perfect. And everything you wanted was exactly what God wanted for you mm-hmm. and uh, was actually, you know, waiting to just give it all to you. Uh, if you could only put together the proper wordage um, and what were considered sins by any Christian standard were no, 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 no. So it, it, it fits in very nicely with what people want to believe because we don't want to be held, A, we don't want to be held to account by God. That's a, a frightening prospect. But even to ourselves, it's convenient to lie to yourself. So I think he's just, you know, yet another person. Oprah Winfrey used to peddle some really wacky theories. I mean, she had some sort of you know, uh, spiritual path that she was following. And, and, and she says, this is what you can do to follow, to become wealthy. And I'm thinking, didn't you start this as a billionaire? <laughs> <laughs> this is what the process began when you already had a billion dollars. Yeah. And not just 1 billion. No multiple. And, but, but guess what? People said, Hey, this is what Oprah does. It's like, no, 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 no. Oprah already had the billions. This is what she does now. Uh, so I, I think, the thing that is frightening to me with uh, the Pete Buttigieg is he's got to have handlers and people 
focus groups that say, you know, what is the message? Because at some point, these candidates are going to have to separate themselves from each other. And they have decided that this is a good avenue to go down. Now, so if they're either right or they're wrong, and if they're right, that's frightening news for a lot of Christians to think that this is how a lot of people are thinking of Christianity. Is it's sort of one from column A, two from column B, discard this, if we could just water that down a little bit, excuse that, and start pushing the idea that the Bible doesn't really say what you've always thought it said. Uh, we could be in much worse shape than we think. I, I, I'd like to hope that people will reject that and say, no, no, it's, you know, you, you push your political stuff, but uh, maybe you should stay out of this arena. And, and that strategy goes way back to the Garden of Eden, where God didn't really say that, did he? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Like, you might be misreading that. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah, it, 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 it's all about deception when you think about it. It's 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 rather clever, and of course, you know, once Eve had her taste of the apple, she's like, "Yeah, what should I do next? Should I apologize? <laughs> should I ask for forgiveness? No, hang on a second. Let me go talk to Adam. Yo, buddy, you got to give this a try. And you know, human nature is we're a little messy. We're messy, and it's. You know, why did they want to believe the lie that Satan told them? It just felt better. It mm. put them in power position, didn't yeah. it? Now, going back to your, uh, when you were in kind of in dabbling in New Age, it was true that if you, everything that you wanted for yourself magically sort of lined up with what God wanted for you. Yes. It was amazing, and 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 very often uh, one of the teachings in New Age was is that if you don't have these things yet, it's not God's fault. It's your fault because you haven't asked for it correctly. Mm-hmm. You haven't prayed. They called it treating. Uh, was one of their euphemisms for prayer. That uh, it's you know prayer sounded too beseeching, mm. too like begging, but this was more like affirming that what you wanted was already yours, and if it was in your head. God put it there because that's what he wants for you. Well, that can be twisted in many, many fashions that are uh, awfully convenient to say, I'm pretty darn sure he wants me to be a gajillionaire. <laughs> pretty darn that's a, sure. Of that's a big Simple. number, if you want my opinion. It is. Yeah. It's a, it's a very large number. And so some of us, people like me, who tend to be a little more sensible, said, I will settle for multimillionaire. Because I don't want to push, I don't want to push my luck here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's it just convenient, isn't it? Yeah. Let me take a little break. Patrick Albanese is my guest, and we are uh, chatting uh, about what's been going on over the weekend and what's in the news coming up this week. We will take a 90-second break and be right back. to the show. My guest is Patrick Albanese. You know him from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious city of West Des Moines. So, Patrick, as I was looking at this uh, Prince Andrew debacle, which has gotten to be grown to be quite an enormous debacle, um, yes. and his uh, disgracing the royal family, you know, there's that old saying that if you, I think the Chinese came up with it, if you don't want somebody to know something, don't do it. 
Funny how that works. You know how you used to laugh, and we shouldn't have ever laughed, but when you'd have people say, you know, people that say that they're going to remain abstinent, that doesn't work because uh, there's uh, some unwanted pregnancies in there. You say, well, if I may be a bit of a nitpicker here, that would mean that they were not abstinent, you see. <laughs> and it's, it seemed like it's a very, very simple thing. You know, my brother uh, used to say to me when I was, he was a few years older than me and he had his problems with substances and uh, some of them led to legal problems. And he said to me once, just don't ever start. If you don't ever start, you can't like them. If you don't do that, you can't get addicted. You won't have these problems. Just don't. Now, I know that's very Nancy Reagan-ish. It's sort of the, here, I'll do a sound effect. It's the just say, no. Huh? Did you see that? <laughs> I did hear that. <laughs> picked, up a, picked up a button. You know, they have those easy buttons and the yes buttons. I got one that says, no. Because no. No. I have a nine and a 10 year old. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so I thought I'm tired of saying it. So I just hand them the button and they push. But you know, it, it really is true. If you talk to anybody who's an addict, they say, if I just hadn't done it that one time, it's yes. that one time. That's yes. where it started. Yes. All right. Let's uh, chat about free speech. Uh, I did see that there were about um, 300 Trump ads taken down by Google and YouTube. And then also this uh, man in China interrogated for criticizing police on social media. There's a little bit of a so, contrast there. It makes you wonder, is this what people would have in mind for us? I mean, a thing that I've seen over the last few years, Trump just happens to be the the president right now. And so maybe that's the excuse that people use. They say, well, if you support Trump, we think he's a Nazi. That makes you a Nazi. That means you need to be shut down. But I, I've come to realize that Trump is the person attached to it right now. It wouldn't matter. I think the direction our culture seems to be moving is that uh, we are going to start ostracizing people that don't think correctly. Uh, Trump might be a convenient face for people to put on it. But I don't think, you know, whether he wins re-election or goes another four years, but he's eventually going to be out of office. I don't think this type of attitude is going to go away. I think that people are going to start saying, this is incorrect speech, therefore we're going to ban it from YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. And then uh, how long before you start to get to like the Chinese and that, I know the video you're talking about, it's like a re-education process. Mm -hmm. This guy's handcuffed to a desk and all he did was write a joke that was anti-police and the police brought him in. And said, you know, how do you really feel about the police? He says, I love the police. I think they're the best. It was just a joke. I really, I'm so sorry I did it. I'll never do it again. I didn't mean to do it. It was, I guess I had too much to drink, is what he said in the video. But this guy was in fear of his life for a joke. So are we headed that way? I, it, it, it feels like it. I, I don't, do you think people are going to stop saying things negative about Christians uh, if one of their people wins election next year hmm. or going to start pushing even harder and saying, you know what, let's start cleaning house. If you believe these things or think these things or say these things, you, because we destroy people, we take away their livelihoods now for uh, an incorrect tweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's uh, amazing. It's horse oh. feathers. It's horse feathers. It's absolutely horse feathers. <laughs> right. All right. So, Friday, last Friday, day after Thanksgiving, of course, everybody looks to see what happens on that day because they're trying to measure the economy and how strong it is. And, uh, yeah. of course, I saw headlines that said Black Friday appears very flat. 
And then you do a little bit of research, and I don't know, it. Black Friday pulled in $7.4 billion in online sales. Doesn't seem that flat to me. Uh, and you know what? You know what I have to say to that? <laughs> which, which I didn't hear and none of my listeners heard. So, Oh, sorry. It was N-O. N-O, okay. <laughs> I'll put it up closer to the microphone the next time. Now, it, it, I agree, and I think why right out of the box, before the numbers are in, do they go right to the negative? And you start to think, do you? is it because it's an election year and you want to try and help your, uh, you know, your favored uh, candidate? Right. But I'm sure it was it was a spectacular uh, Black Friday, as I understand it. I st- we stayed home, um, you know. And, well, I tend to, I like to do all of uh, my Christmas shopping at the uh, dollar stores anyway. Isn't it weird we have dollar stores now? Isn't that kind of just like a high end five and dime? <laughs> <laughs> we had the five. Yeah, people are like they got this, this dollar store. Does everything Everybody- cost a dollar in those stores? I just, yeah. And I say, yeah, well, when I was a kid, we had five and dimes. Okay. So now, when, now it's just know. up to a buck. What's the difference, yeah. right? Yeah. Pretty soon they'll have the high end dollar store. Well, I guess everything will be two bucks, but, um, yeah, we're, we're getting around to our things and, uh, but we drove past some shopping centers and it was lively. Even the malls around here that haven't been doing very well, mm-hmm. uh, just cause shopping habits have changed. We're busy. So I said, well, it feels like Christmas as usual. Yeah, it's, I, it does seem that way. And we have, uh, I think they said, what, five or six uh, less shopping days till Christmas this year. So people feel the, the pressure. From, yeah, from the Black Yeah, we had to do the, uh, my wife took down the Thanksgiving decorations before Thanksgiving. That's so smart. And we had, but we, so we had, because she said, we need to have, the tree has to be up. So we, we did the Christmas decorations last week. In fact, we, um. We used to do the traditional thing, you know, the the real live tree. Yeah. Uh, and then we got an artificial tree, but I wasn't really ready to give up the traditional. So just for old time's sake, I strapped the artificial tree to the roof of the car and drive around for a little bit. Just make it look like I went and I bought a tree. Yeah, we were, we yeah, were up and Yeah, you got to do this in phases. You just can't go from buying the tree, the, the real pine tree, to the artificial. I think what you did was smart. Yeah, I, I did, and uh, I, you know, went, just spilled a bottle of pine salt on the carpet just <laughs> to get it that fresh forest smell. Yeah, we just uh, got about a minute left. Have you seen the Mister Rogers movie? Have you and your family gotten out to see that? We have not. Okay. I, I do want to see it, and I don't know if I want to bring the kids to it. We didn't really watch Mister Rogers much with them as kids, so I don't know if they would fully grasp. Yeah. But uh, boy, did the previews look good. Yeah. Don't they? Well, it started off, I think, with Mr. Rogers looking at the camera and saying, is there someone you need to forgive? What an interesting way to start a movie. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, we did our Thanksgiving tradition, which was uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, that's a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. And, oh, boy, and that ending with him just smiling. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Patrick Albanese, my guest, my friend from... The great state of Iowa. Coming up next, we've got Dr. Josh Mulvihill coming in studio. We're going to talk about his new book called Biblical Worldview. It's going to be great. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks for joining me today. I am delighted to have Dr. Josh Mulvihill in studio. He's written a bunch of wonderful books on grandparenting, and his new book is called Biblical Worldview. 
what it is, why it matters, and how to shape the worldview of the next generation. Can you think of anything more important than that? He's the executive director of church and family ministry at Renew a Nation. He helped launch the Legacy Coalition, a ministry that equips grandparents to pass the faith on to future generations. He got his PhD from Southern Baptist Theo Sam, and he's right here in the Twin Cities. Josh, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. This is some great work you've done. This is important stuff. Yeah, yeah. As a pastor, I uh, wanted to help our families, pastor uh, here in, in, in the Twin Cities, and uh, went to do some stuff with family uh, discipleship and kind of stumbled on the grandparent piece and um, so expanded the the whole family ministry arena from not just parents, but to grandparents as well. Yeah. Now, before we move on to biblical worldview, let's talk a little, just a little bit about grandparenting and mm-hmm. just remind all the listeners how incredibly significant and important the role of grandparent is in the faith of these grandkids. Yeah. Um, most people see the importance of parents. Uh, many don't recognize the value of grandparents mm-hmm. and, uh, scripturally they're the number two we like to say potential influence, depending on uh, how active they are in a family's life and their grandchild's life, um, because they have more time with a young person throughout the duration of their life, really, than almost any other person, because so many people come and go. And so they're critical. They're absolutely critical. And, um, well, you know, a lot of grandparents, uh, they 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 feel the value and the need to invest in some capacity during the later third of their life. Uh, and so it's fun to tell them uh, that they matter and they're important and to give them some clarity about what God's Word mm-hmm. says their role is. What if grandparents have a differing of opinion or a differing take on faith when it comes to their kids relative to the other sets of grandparents? Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the greatest challenge for a lot of families is either adult children who hold to a different belief system or a different set of uh, family members that do as well. And uh, unfortunately, there's not the uh, the secret uh, pill that would right. make everything better. But uh, in that instance, there's a lot of things that can be done just on a practical scale, such as uh, maintaining a solid relationship, and that tends to provide opportunities to um, have conversations about what matters most in life as things come up. Um, you know, when uh, when when uh, grandchildren are at grandparents' home, uh, grandparents get to set the you know the the agenda for what mm-hmm. they talk about and what they do. Uh, when we go into adult children's homes and lives, obviously they're. Uh, what they say goes, and so uh, grandparents need to respect that and recognize that uh, God has given them the primary responsibility. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to strength of relationship and um, and to maintain that even in the difficult seasons, uh, especially when there's differing views on um, on beliefs and convictions. And um, and so, I think the grandparents need to recognize that they need to take the long game, um, that, you know, we'd love to, to wave a wand and make it all mm-hmm. better in instances that are challenging. And uh, the reality is that that's, uh, you know, often not the case. And so uh, we have a, uh, we, part of what we do as a, as a prayer ministry with grandparents, uh, we have what's called Gap Group, grand, Grandparents at Prayer, uh, that provide uh, support for grandparents who face those kind of challenging situations. And that tends to be 
a very strong support system that develops around a grandparent's life. And, uh, and, and so grandparents can check that out. Uh, Christian Grandparent Network um, is, uh, is the, the location that they can find that helpful information. And Josh, I would guess to say that grandparents probably have written the book on prayer, haven't they, when it comes to their grandkids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they. I think it. You know, you get to a place in life where you recognize, I can't control what my child uh, believes, what my grandchild will do, and so it brings you to your knees, and uh, and you, you know, you trust in God's uh, providence and His sovereignty, and and uh, ask for His uh, His work in their life. Mm-hmm. In chapter sixteen of this book, Grand Parenting, a lovely little declaration in here. Mm. Uh, I think this was brought by, was it Larry Fowler Mm -hmm. that came up with that? Anyway, just, I am a grandparent and this is my declaration. Yes, I am a grandparent, but I am more than a grandparent. I'm a Christian grandparent. I believe in the Bible and the God of the Bible. It goes on and on. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful declaration of of identity and Mm -hmm. um, confidence and strength. Yeah. So I think if you, you know, if you you, we're going into the holiday season here, and that tends to be a time where you get a lot of extended family togetherness. And so, uh, if you're a grandparent, I want to encourage you to take uh, take that take the opportunity to invest in your family, have some intentional conversations, use the time that you have to um, to just to, to talk about stuff of substance and to open the Bible and pray with and. Uh, if you're an adult child and uh, potentially the relationship's not there that you desire with. Uh, with your parents, uh, that this is an opportunity that you know they come uh, in our li- into our lives throughout the year, and this is one of them that we get time and we need to seize that and uh, and recognize that um, as adult children we're the gatekeeper to, uh, to to grandchildren, and we need to open the door that grandparents mm-hmm. can have the opportunity to engage with them. Yeah, Josh, are the are some of these events like Christmas and the holidays coming up? Are they are they more difficult to break in? break the tradition? I mean, when the family comes swooping into the house and you say, well, we got to sit down and have these important conversations, isn't it sometimes the hardest time to do it? Is that those times? Yeah. And obviously every family's different. Mm-hmm. And so I find that there's maybe about 25% of families that um, relationships are pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And so in those situations, um, you know, it's it's not difficult to do what I just said. you you open up God's word. That's kind of the the habit, the pattern that's been there. Uh, the other seventy five percent, there's some varying level of challenge. Whether that's long distance grandparents, whether that's grandparents raising grandchildren, whether that's a prodigal child. So in all of those different situations, then obviously um, situation determines what's possible. Uh, but for for many grandparents, it's simply the matter of. Well, we have the opportunity, and we've just not seized it. So it may not be opening God's word, but it could be we're going to choose to read a we're going to choose a book that has some um, some truth about what is what we're here gathering around with Christmas that we're going to choose to read this year, or we're going to speak a blessing over our children and our grandchildren as they come, and uh, and so maybe we'll work up to that uh, at a future time as far as um, some of the the more um, scripture-specific kinds of conversations. Mm. But there are, you know, what, you know, what, what could happen through some intentional plan. Mm-hmm. Dr. Josh Mulvihill is my guest. He's written a book called Biblical Worldview. Uh, Josh, let's talk about biblical worldview. And, and 
I mean, let's let's first of all draw a distinction between that and a Christian worldview because anybody can call themselves a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is my Christian worldview, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a biblical worldview. Yeah, and you've noticed a distinction there. We oh, yes. purposefully titled that biblical worldview for that reason because uh, Christian today can mean a lot of different oh, things yeah. to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, of course, uh, varying... Um, levels of uh, liberal all the way to conservative and everything in between. And so we wanted to put the emphasis on uh, what does the Bible say? And of course, there's varying interpretations and there's going to be charity in certain subject matters. Uh, But ultimately, we want the Bible to be the authority for what is good and right and true. And uh, and we want our lives to align with that, and so that uh, that distinction is a is a important one that you've picked up on. Mm-hmm. And the worldview is a set of beliefs about life that determines how we live. So let me just throw out a couple of words here, just to get your mind thinking: creation, marriage, divorce, Jesus, gender, education, abortion, parenting, Islam. I can stop now. Can <laughs> that'll <I>? that'll uh, <laughs> result in some fun conversations. <laughs> any of those, right? Yeah. Um, but when you start um, determining what your worldview is, and if it doesn't come from a biblical basis, you're all over the map. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, another way to summarize that is it's truth to be lived. So what we believe matters, uh, not just because it, you know, it, it's our convictions, but it does impact the decisions we make and, and the choices and the, the life that we choose and so, um, so the truth that we, we believe and how we live that out then. Yeah, I, you did a great job of summarizing a, a biblical worldview in four words. And here they are. Creation, rebellion, salvation, and restoration. Mm-hmm. Now, they're the framework that enables a young person's faith to be rooted and built up in Christ rather than destroyed by human ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the church has done a pretty good job focusing on the center two, uh, rebellion and salvation. Um, and what ends up happening, though, those the other two, uh, creation and, and restoration, um, creation tends to be the gateway uh, that impacts what we believe about, often about rebellion and salvation. And, uh, and, and where restoration is important, the Bible doesn't end at Calvary, it ends at consummation. And so... Um, salvation's not the end for us as Christians. It really is the beginning. So what do, what do we do with um, a person once they choose to follow Christ and what kind of vision do we give them for the remainder of their years here? Obviously, we have an eternal focus, mm-hmm. uh, but that gives us a, a vision for how we live in this world. And so um, so we need a, uh, I think we need a more full view of uh, what are some of the critical areas. Those four that you just mentioned uh, are really four areas that our world's hitting pretty hard on right now. So with each of those four truths, there's also um, there's also a counterfeit, and it's mm-hmm. getting hit pretty hard. So with creation, we have evolution. Uh, with uh, with rebellion, we have relativism. Mm-hmm. Um, many, and I'll I come back to that relativism one here in a sec. It's pretty important. Uh, salvation, you uh, right now have humanism getting hit really hard, uh, especially in the school systems. Say more about that, Josh. Uh, so humanism, essentially, you've got uh, either you, it's a God-centered view of this world or it's a human-centered view of this world. So um, so when you take God out of the mix, uh, you have to replace it with him with something. And so what our world's replaced it with is, is humanity. And so... Um, so in doing that, uh, you get your, your, if you remove God from the creation narrative, which has happened, 
uh, you replace it with a humanistic view of that, which is, which is evolution, uh, and all the dominoes fall then. And so humans end up saving themselves. That could be through uh, science. It could be through uh, any other kinds of means, education. If you, you, you have problems, um, who do you look to for to save, uh, save humanity? You know, often it becomes your government, your education, uh, science, these all are all, all, you know, all saviors in our, in a humanistic mindset. And of course, as Christians, we value those things, but we value them for a different reason. Uh, and then they each, uh, you know, whether it's a God-centered view or, or a man-centered humanistic view, each has a, a, a vision for the future. Uh, what are we working towards and how is that accomplished? And each answers that question different. Uh, and so we can, we can get at the kind of the big questions of each of those, uh, how did I get here and what's my purpose? Uh, what's wrong with the world? I mean, we all, we all look at the world and say, we know there's things that aren't right, but what, what's caused that? And the answers to that are obviously very different. And then what's the, what's the solution? Uh, I mentioned the, the relativism piece. Um, in our, in our uh, sometimes Christians, I think, are under the view that our world does not have a... Um, strong morals. And that's, that's not true in any way, shape or form. Um, kids are being taught uh, a, a moral code. And I think it's really important for listeners, especially parents, grandparents to recognize what kids are being taught on this front. Um, the moral code for young people uh, is, a, is a morality of self-fulfillment <laughs> that is determined by what makes a young person happy. Oh so my. here's why this is critical. Oh my. Um, a young person is going to ask themselves, what's going to make me most happy in life? And, and it seems relatively simple to, to, to state this, but oftentimes what it is they pursue is what they think is going to make them the happiest. So part of what we need to do as parents and grandparents is convince a young person that they're happiest when they obey the Lord and that they're, they're not happiest when they live outside of God's commands. Amen. Um, so the moral code also uh, includes this. Uh, self-denial has become the new immorality. Self-fulfillment is the new gospel. And self-discovery is the new method. And so, um, so these are the kinds of things that are taught to young people, often through media, often through an educational setting. And so experimentation is encouraged. Uh, and that, and then of course you're to learn who you are, so you, we can get into all of the be happy. Yep, uh, yeah. all of the, uh, the the gender fluidity kind of stuff, and that's become part of a gateway for this, um, you know, and that and that then destroys faith and it destroys family. Yeah. Dr. Josh Mulvihill is my guest in studio. His, his book is called Biblical Worldview: What It Is, Why It Matters, and How to Shape the Worldview of the Next Generation. Let's take 90 seconds and be right back with Josh. been a great discussion with Dr. Josh Mulvihill. His book is called Biblical Worldview, What It Is, Why It Matters, and How to Shape the Worldview of the Next Generation. Got a nice uh, bunch of nice comments coming in, Josh. Well, thank you. They like you. Mm. And so do I. Uh, here's a quick uh, comment. Uh, creation and restoration are where God, the supernatural, appears. It's a shame that the church doesn't talk enough about these things as your guest is talking about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Critical subjects. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about restoration. God will make the world new. 
Yeah, so if we believe the gospel changes everything, then it's important not only for the salvation of our souls, but also uh, the the application of the gospel for all of life uh, is absolutely critical. So one of the uh, critical areas of biblical worldview, we don't want to see people just uh, believing what the Bible teaches. Of course, that's critical, but that happens for a reason and a purpose, and that's the, the restoration theme uh, within Scripture, this idea that we're to, to live redemptively for the, glo- the glory of God and the good of, uh, of this world. Um, do we have time for me to read quick, four quick questions oh, that yeah. will help oh, yeah. listeners kind of think through this? Uh, so four quick questions. Um, you know, as individuals think, uh, you know, wh- what's my place in this world? How do I live out the gospel in a way that is, uh, is for God's glory and the good of others? Uh, question one is, what's good in the world that you can promote, protect, uh, and celebrate, and this kind of, you know, there's so many different possibilities. Could be the promotion of the sanctity of life, the value of motherhood, orphan care, so many different possibilities. Um, the second question, what is missing in our culture that you can creatively contribute? Um, man, I, I just think about uh, all of the things that I've been blessed with from individuals who have contributed and uh, what Christianity has blessed Western civilization with uh, along these lines. So this becomes really compelling for a young person when they are, um, as part of their education, trained that their vocation has a creative outlet. Uh, my daughter just learned to crochet, my eight-year-old, to, uh, yesterday and today, and she's, um, she's, it gave her some purpose and some, some I was, joy. I was going to ask you about that sweater you have on. Yeah, right. She did a nice job. Yeah, yeah I'll, minus all the holes in yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, but, a, but a biblical worldview, it, it equips young people to use God's gift. So the, this idea that we're not just saved from something, we're saved for something. And, uh, and so God's given us that, that role in this world. The third question uh, what's evil in our society that that you can be part of stopping? Um, you know, God hates evil, and so should we as Christians. And historically, the church, uh, Christian church hasn't run from evil. They've run towards it. And we can think of lots of individuals who um, have been um, impactful in, uh, in working against some of the evil things of our society. William Wilberforce with slavery, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., and the list could go on. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing if um, one of our children that we raised had a part in seeing abortion stopped or some of the other evils of our society? Uh, and then the fourth one is what's broken in the world that can be restored. And so uh, God's called all of us to some form of restoration. And so that's, you know, that could be restoring marriages. It could be restoring broken pipes. It could be uh, restoring uh, organizations that are struggling. Um, the list could go on, um, all the broken things. So uh, we get to repair the ruins of, of this world. And so giving young people a vision for um, for those those areas uh, becomes um, pretty exciting in their life as they live out the Christian faith. And so when we make, uh, when we, when we, shrink the gospel simply to apply to salvation, which of course it does, not minimizing that, but then what happens as a result when we, when we see that uh, it has a role in our society that becomes um, very exciting for a lot of young people. Yeah, nicely stated, Josh. Uh, these are great questions. They, they feel like humongous questions. I mean, even a question like, what is evil in our society that you can be part of stopping? Um, can you tease us out a little bit more with that one? Can you maybe point us to something that we could be actually 
doing? Yeah. Um, so, um, man, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk on a high level. Um, our church does some things with sex trafficking. Okay. Um, we, uh, we do some things with, uh, an orphan ministry. Um, you know, there's a lot of foster kids in mm-hmm. the twin cities yes, that need a is. home. Um, there, you know, any of the addictions that, um, that grab people, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there are, the list is long. And so obviously those are, those are big kinds of subjects. Right. You know, my kids, uh, I have five, um, four, age four to 13, they're obviously not out doing this themselves at this point. So they're, you know, as a family, we would m- potentially be engaged in some things. Um, but this is, you know, this is us giving them a vision for, um, as they grow into their mm-hmm. adult years and for them to see us um, pushing back. And so our kids have seen, uh, have seen us be active and take a stand for our Christian faith in different ways to say, um, you know, uh, for us, it's happened at our city council as we go and speak to some things on our city level. Uh, it's happened in, um, in an educational setting in our life as our kids have been a part of that. And they've seen us speak against some things that we don't agree with in that mm-hmm. setting that we don't think are, are most helpful for children. So that's the, the shape it's taken sure. in our life. Josh, how do we build a case for the trustworthiness of the Bible mm. um, when, when kids are getting so many messages and hearing so much at school about the Bible not being true? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a critical point. Um, our world's going to be, you know, shooting its guns to try to destroy the Bible itself. Um, I think I listed eight in the book, so I'm not going to run through them all. Mm-hmm. But I think there's really helpful, um, helpful things that can be done as far as showing changed lives. The Bible has transformed, transformed lives. Uh, the Bible, we can show how uh, the Bible has survived through history, and we can show how the Bible has proven true uh, through science and research and archaeology. Um, there's, uh, you know, anything that we can do on that regard to show that the Bible has proven true throughout history and in lives, uh, has changed lives, uh, is critical for us. Part of what we do to show the trustworthiness with our own kids, we read it daily. Uh, our kids see that we value it and we love it in our lives as Christians and in our home. And as we have a high view of God's word um, in our life, our kids see that hey, man, this is a special book. It's not like any other book. Mm-hmm. My parents, uh, they may read other books, but they don't read books quite like this book. And uh, and so it, it takes a place in our life and in our home that is of elevated value. And that, you know, those kinds of passions, priorities, those kinds of things also prove its value. Yeah. Josh, we just have a minute or so left, but how do we encourage kids to learn how to apply God's truth to their life? especially if they didn't make the team or the cute boy doesn't like them or, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, what does the Bible mean then? Mm-hmm. You know, Yeah. And that's the whole Bible. Uh, the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture says, mm-hmm. um, you know, God has given us the Bible. Uh, it says it's profitable for all of life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, this is the idea of um, really that's Proverbs and the wisdom literature is how do you take God's word and apply it to every sphere. I mean, it needs to soak into every every sphere of our life. And um, and a lot of Christians, I think, sometimes 
don't understand its profitableness for, you just mentioned sports and Mm -hmm. other areas of life. It absolutely is. Um, Not only does it help us think rightly about these subjects, but it but respond rightly uh, in in uh, all of these uh, opportunities and seasons. So, uh, again, for us, uh, part of that's just a familiar familiarity with God's Word as we're reading through it with our children. Uh, we want them to know God's Word, to love God's Word, and then to live God's Word. Mm-hmm. And um, they have to be familiar with it themselves in order to to know how to use it when they need it. Yeah, Josh, this is a great book, and I want to encourage our listeners to uh, check this out. Biblical worldview, what it is, why it matters, and how to shape the worldview of the next generation. The author is Dr. Josh Mulvihill. I wish we had a little bit more time because mm. it would be nice to uh, continue this. Maybe I could just have you back. Yeah, that'd be fine. If you don't mind uh, mm-hmm. coming back into the studio. It's really been nice to meet you, and thanks for uh, coming in. Thanks for having me, Bill. Yep. Again, biblical worldview, Dr. Josh Mulvihill, M-U-L-V-I-H-I-L-L. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, hour two is just ahead. We have Dr. Ken Samples in from Reasons.org for the full hour. We're going to talk to him and open up the uh, text line with questions. You know, he's a pretty smart guy. So uh, it'll be a great hour. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.